Well, good morning, uh, Lord's love. It's good to be with you on this Thanksgiving weekend. So happy Thanksgiving to you from our family uh, to you. I hope you're able to get an opportunity to celebrate and uh, maybe get a good uh, meal in. Uh, if not, uh, I'll take you out for a meal. So <laughs> come have a conversation with me, and I mean that. So I, as, as I shared last, last week, we we're looking for scripture readers. Uh, so if you have a heart to serve in that way and you would love to read and bring the presence of God and the word of God, on a Sunday, I would love to speak with you as well. Uh, so send me a message, email, call me, uh, say hi after a service, and uh, just to have a conversation about that. And also another quick announcement. Our service is going to be a little bit shorter today. We're, ending, we're hoping to end around 1210. It's because afterwards we have a little section called Church Matters where we're going to address some church matters, <laughs> some questions and thoughts and uh, comments that people have made around vaccinations, uh, around live stream, and around elections and leadership and what is all of that. So stay for that. Uh, we're still going to end on time, I promise, because I know we get hungry uh, near the end. Uh, so just a little uh, precursor. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36 to 50. So if you have your Bibles, please flip with me to there, whether it's on your physical Bibles or on your phones, or you can follow along uh, on the page as well. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we dive into the word. Father, this morning, we're just thankful to be in your house. So Lord, may you open our eyes to see your word. Open our ears to hear your word. Open our hearts to receive your word. And may we encounter you in your presence this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, my, my son uh, this week uh, and many around the lower mainland uh, participated in the Terry Fox run. I, I believe he just did his just on uh, last uh, f Friday. And this is what he wrote on his uh, shirt. Terry ran for me. I'm running for my dad. And when I first read that, I'm like, what? Like, that's news to me. Is there something wrong with me? Uh, but as you ask him, you know, as a kid, and, you know, bless his heart, he's running for my dad because, oh, my, my dad likes running. Uh, so I'm running for my dad. But also so that my dad won't get cancer. So 
you know, that kind of makes up for all the little other things that he does uh, that kind of gets at me. Uh, he says little sweet things uh, like that. But many of us probably know who Terry Fox, uh, Terry Fox was. Uh, he was a, a Canadian athlete. Uh, if you go to the next slide, that'll be great. A Canadian athlete, uh, a humanitarian, a cancer research activist. And though he was born in Winnipeg, he actually went to school here. Uh, in, in Port Coquitlam and went to Simon Fraser University. And he lost his leg due to cancer when he was 18, so he had it amputated, uh, which set him off to do something amazing in, 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 uh, in the name of cancer research, which was to run across Canada uh, one marathon a day. That was his goal. So in 1980, his journey to raise money for cancer research began, and he started calling it the Marathon of Hope. Uh, he didn't make it quite across the whole country. He made it uh, to Ontario, but that's because his illness kind of took him over, which, uh, uh, which eventually killed him. But it was impressive. He ran 42 kilometers a day, a marathon a day, every day for 143 days. And he ran a total of 5,373 kilometers uh, with one good leg and one prosthetic. And he originally set to raise $1 for every person in Canada, which was $24 million at the time. And to date, uh, the organization and in his name has risen, uh, raised over $850 million in the name of cancer research. And it's quite astounding, really, how the actions of someone can still be inspiring and spurring on people today. So every, every, every year around this time, students and many others participate in this marathon of hope, this run of, of hope. And, and, and in a way, it's really the best way that we can honor someone, isn't it? The best way to honor someone is by living out the person's legacy. That's what we do. That's what we're doing every year with, with Harry Fox. And we're in a series called Meals with Jesus, where we're studying at different passages where Jesus has meals with different people. And we're at another text here this morning where a woman finds herself into a meal that she wasn't invited to at a Pharisee's house or a Pharisee's banquet. And we'll see a woman whose society has shunned a living out the ways of Jesus, honoring Jesus, lifting up Jesus. And that begs the question for us this morning, as I read this text, and the question that screams out to me through Scripture is, what does my life honor? What does the way, how does the way I live, what does it say to the others around us about what's important to me, about what's, what, what's important to you, and what's important in your life? Because the way we live shows others what's important to us. And the big idea for us this morning is this, our acts of love honor Jesus as king. Our acts of love honor Jesus as king. We're in the beginning of the passage here in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar a perfume. So a few things we pick up right away from this text that she's a woman and that she is sinful. In that time in society, women were shunned away from banquets like this. They weren't invited. In fact, uh, Jewish rabbis didn't even speak to women in society, let alone having, a, 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 um, having dinner right beside them. So she's a woman and not just that, it was a double whammy. She's sinful. So she was really casted out in society and from what we see. And this was, as I, as I think about this, this, this was probably for me the first year of university where 
uh, there was a banquet going on, and there was a wedding. I went to the wedding ceremony, but I, uh, I wasn't part of the wedding reception, and rightly so, there's a lot of people, and not everyone can be invited to it, right? Uh, so I, I wasn't invited to it, but here's, here, here's the thing. I, I actually knew where the wedding banquet was. <laughs> I knew where the wedding reception was. So later that night with a friend of mine, we drove over and just hung out. Uh, we just hung out outside of the banquet, and it's funny because the bride and groom, and I'm thinking back, it's kind of embarrassing, you know, uh, but the bride and groom, like, we're in a reception, you know, just saying hi to people, talking with people, and the bride and groom walked out, you know, during the time where they change or say bye to people or whatever, and saw us, like, oh, Doug, and it was a big smile, a hug, uh, I think we even took a picture and, and whatnot, uh, but I went to a banquet that I wasn't invited to just to hang out, uh, just to see. I didn't want to miss out. I, I wanted to be a part of what was going on. You see, this woman was kind of like that. Uh, she didn't want to miss out. Uh, she, she, e- even though it would have been embarrassing for her, for this woman that wasn't invited to this party, she still showed up and she still went. And it's because to, uh, to give up that face and what people will think of her for the sake of seeing Jesus, for the sake of being with her. She didn't want to miss out on this opportunity to encounter Jesus. And we don't know the name of this woman, but we do know she had a re- bad rap- reputation for being a sinner and another thing, too, is a little bit, a little bit digging into this, this passage here. It was customary, actually, for outsiders who weren't invited to hover around, uh, to listen, uh, and to see what's going on, to kind of like be among the stars, right? You know, <laughs> you know that's where celebrities are, so let's, you know, let's see what they're talking about. So we don't know the name of this, this woman, but just a little bit precursor here. Don't, don't confuse this woman with Mary of Bethany in John 12, because there's also wiping of the feet and breaking of the jar of perfume, or the woman in Mark 14, because this also isn't Mary Magdalene uh, in those passages. This is a whole separate account of, of another woman coming to a banquet and bringing an alabaster jar. So what did she do? She came into the banquet, and as she stood behind him at his feet, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume, perfume on them. So this act of great humility maybe pretty embarrassing in front of everyone else. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this Jesus really is who he says he is, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So on the outside, this Simon, uh, Simon, not the disciple, but Simon the Pharisee, uh, may have seemed perfect. He may have seemed perfect, he was su- but he was suffering from this very real spiritual disease. He was suffering from the spiritual blindness, this blindness that kept him from seeing who this woman really was and the situation uh, as it really was and who G- this Jesus really is. And all Simon could see in this woman was her sin, was her sin. He said she is a sinner. That's what she's defined by. She's defined by her sin and what she's done wrong and all the mistakes that she has made. But all this woman, uh, but what, this wo- what Jesus saw in this woman was someone that was in need of saving, someone that was in need of grace, someone that was in need of meeting this Jesus. And it was easy for, this, this, for Simon to say she is a sinner without also saying, I am a sinner. See, he was spiritually blind. He didn't realize that. He was just looking at the other person's sin. And we, we know that we have this spiritual blindness when we can point out other people's sin and not see our own. And we don't see our own brokenness and we don't see the ways that we are flawed because we're all in need of grace. We're all in need of saving. And it's fascinating because Simon the Pharisee here says, if this man really is a prophet, he would know. And later on, 
He does know because Jesus can hear his thoughts. <laughs> That's the irony of it. Jesus could hear what Simon is thinking. So he says this in, 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 in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And I love this because Simon legitimately doesn't know uh, and, and, and thinks that Jesus doesn't understand what, what is going on here. Uh, but here is a fascinating point that Jesus could have shunned and, and, and pushed Simon aside, but he doesn't. He draws close to him. He's like, hey, let me tell you something. He, cor- he corrects Simon, but he does it in the most gentle way. Let me tell you something. I, I want to tell you something. I want to share something with you. He cares enough about Simon to have this conversation. Not to push him aside and to shun him to the side, but to have this conversation. He shares this in verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So one owed $500 and the other owed $50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? In verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. You have weighed correctly. You have calculated correctly. As we read this, we would be mistaken to think that Jesus is saying the one that has more sin would, would appreciate the forgiveness more. It really sounds like that on the surface, but that's not really what Jesus is saying. This doesn't have any, anything to do with the amount of sin, but more the awareness of sin. It's not about the amount of sin because sin is sin and once tainted, always tainted. It doesn't matter if you sin once or twice and the magnitude of your sin, once broken, always broken. That's the theology of the church and understanding of our faith and salvation. So Jesus is saying not the amount of sin, but the awareness. That's what he's trying to get at here to Simon. It's about the awareness, about the realization of one's own state. And that's how he's trying to draw Simon out. That's not about the amount of sin, Simon, because you have sinned as well and you are in the same boat as this woman. It's about being aware. Are we aware of our brokenness? Are we aware of our sinfulness? Are we aware of the ways that we have fallen? Are we pointing to others around us? So verse 44, then he turned. I love this. He turned to the woman, but he was speaking to Simon. (laughs) He turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, do you see this woman as I see her? Do you see this person as I say? Do you see this woman as a daughter of God? Do you see this person in need of saving as much as you need saving? Simon, do you really see this woman for who she is? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. He did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Her, her love for Jesus has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. She understands forgiveness. She understands what it means to be forgiven by the Savior, that this is God in the flesh, in the presence. So she, she lives that love back out in expression, uh, in gratitude of the salvation that she is receiving in the presence of Jesus. Now, this verse, we can go a different couple ways with this passage here. There's sins, of, there's sins of, of commission where you know something is wrong and you commit it. That's sins of commission. You committed an act that's not, uh, that's, that, that misses the mark. 
that God is saying it isn't good. But there's also sin of, of, of omission, things that we're supposed to do that we don't do. That this verse kind of speaks into that as well. Sin of omission refers to those moments where you could have done something, but we passively sit back. And we passively don't engage in the ways that God has called us to engage. Doesn't this remind us of Matthew 25, 34 to 40? It's a bit long, and I'll read it for us. Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, you see, when did we see you a stranger, as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did, you see, when did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Everything that Simon neglected to do, the woman this, this sinful woman. Everything that Simon, the Pharisee, who are meant to be perfect in society, this woman who was sinful did perfectly. You see the irony of this. You see how the least of these is teaching the lesson. And we can learn for those that Jesus chooses to have a meal with. We see water for washing feet, which in Scripture symbolizes serving. So this woman served me. We, we see kissing, which in that sign, which is kind of weird now in time of COVID especially, <laughs> but they kissed each other, a sign of, of, of greeting, a sign of respect. So when he went in, Simon didn't give him a kiss, but this woman hasn't stopped kissing his feet as a sign of respect, a sign of honor for King Jesus. And oil in Scripture, oil in Scripture speaks of anointing anointing for kings, anointing for people that are, are loved by Jesus, anointing of people that are set apart for a purpose. So here, that is this anointing that's reserved for in the, in, in, in the, in the sanctuaries and in, in churches done by priests to kings, the sinful woman is anointing the king of the universe. She anoints the king with her acts of love. That our acts of love it honors Jesus. It anoints Jesus. Before COVID, uh, our family used to go down to Seattle. Our immediate family used to go to Seattle where to catch a baseball game uh, every single year, Seattle Mariners, uh, especially against the Blue Jays. It was kind of, you know, the stadium was filled with Canadians. Uh, it's pretty cool. You drive down to the border and everyone's wearing blue for the Blue Jays and the border guard doesn't even ask you questions. Like, okay, yeah, as you go on, you know, are you Canadians watching the baseball game? <laughs> Uh, and we used to go down, and I remember watching this baseball game. I don't remember who won, who lost. It doesn't really matter. After, afterwards, we went back to our Airbnb. It dropped off the family, and I went to the local Safeway uh, to buy groceries. And I walked in. It was the first night. I was tired, and I was, I was stumbling through just to buy whatever we can to bring back home. And lo and behold, I bumped into a person, and you may not know him if you don't know the baseball world, Robinson Cano, who is an eight-time All-Star that plays on the Mariners. <laughs> He was grocery shopping. Uh, an eight-time All-Star, two-time Glow Glove, five-time Silver star, Slugger, meaning he had the highest batting average in the league, was this grocery shopping. And he was with his dad. Uh, this grocery shopping in his local Safeway. I'm like, I was thinking in my mind, what on earth are you doing here? 
And the reason why is because this Safeway was out in the middle of nowhere that no one would really go to, and it was just basically me and him uh, in the whole Safeway. And he was grocery shopping, I guess, on the way home after the game. I wanted to ask for an autograph. I wanted to take a picture with him, but I was too shy. <laughs> I kind of walked off, but I kept looking, you know. But bump into Robinson Cano. Uh, and it's interesting, as in society, we tend to honor people like that. Celebrities, people of status, that it's easy in those moments to respect and show honor and to show love, to anoint people in, that, in, that, in those situations. But what Jesus is speaking about here is about in those ordinary times, in the everyday, in the everyday actions, in the ways that you love each other, in the ways that you live and encounter people at work, at school, in your families, on the street, that those actions also even more anoint Jesus as king. That for us, as Christians, as people that follow the word, our actions in the everyday anoint Jesus as king. Every time you love, Every time you show acts of love, acts of kindness, every time you live out the gospel and you live out everything that scripture speaks of, we're anointing Jesus as king, that we're falling at his feet in obedience. And we think of what does it mean to honor Jesus as king? What does it mean to live out our faith? And this isn't only done from the pulpit, from the stage. It's only, only reserved for leaders and on Sundays. It's for every day. Us gathering here on Sundays is important as we come under the word together as a family. But what you do between Sundays is even more important. And how you live out your faith and what the gospel means to you. So whenever we live out our faith, whenever we love each other, whenever we come to God in full devotion, this is you as this woman has coming to the feet of Jesus, anointing him with your tears, with your jars of perfume, whatever it is that you're sacrificing that you're anointing him as well. When we love our neighbors, when we love the least of these, when we consider the other person's needs before our own, you're anointing Jesus in those moments. When we see other people as Jesus sees them, you're anointing, uh, you're anointing Jesus in those moments. It's in the way we love our families. It's the way that you raise, your, raise up your children. The way that you love your husband, you love your wife, you love your boyfriend, girlfriend, in your relationship. The way that you care for your kids. All those ways are the ways that we honor Jesus, the way that you study, the ways that you are with your friends in your school, the ways that you live out acts of love, you can anoint Jesus in the everyday. It's not when the lights are bright and the, and the camera is on you. It's in the everyday small things. The smallest acts can anoint Jesus the greatest if our heart is in that place of wanting to. And that's why we see this. Jesus responds in verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? So Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I have to say this, don't get me wrong. Acts of love don't save us. We don't work for our salvation. It's through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is where our salvation is. But here, this woman She's not saved by her tears and by her gifts of alabaster jar, even by her acts of love. That's not what saved her. It's that she got it. She understood what it means to have a relationship and a faith in Jesus, which is why Jesus says, your faith has saved you because your faith has led you to me. Your faith has given access. You see me for who I am. It has led you right at, before me in this very situation. We're not saved by faith 
And we're not saved by works, but we're saved by faith. But when we have this faith, it does lead to these acts. It does lead to this way of living our life out for God. What I love about this, as I come to the end here, is that what assurance does this woman have of salvation? What assurance does she have that, 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 that she is actually saved at all? And I love this because she has the assurance of his word. And we studied this in community learning just before this, that the Israelites were saved by the word of God. In the beginning, all we had was the word of God, and the word God spoke, and the world came into being. The word of God is important. We have the word of God. And we have the assurance of God through his word, that she has the assurance of his word, and that Jesus' words are trustworthy, that it's good. He doesn't turn back. He doesn't sway left and right. He's not tossed back and forth, but Jesus is who he says he is, and we can trust him. When he says, I will come back for you, and that I will give you peace, and that I'll give you joy, he means it. And he gives us access to himself, that we can trust his word, that he is faithful. And he says, go in peace, literally translated as go into peace. As you walk out from this place, go into peace. Wherever you go, because my presence is with you, you're walking into this peace. In the most chaotic of times, you can experience this peace and this hope and this trust and this love, no matter what is going on. And here, you might think the miracle of her getting in or her uh, the miracle, miracle of her, it was a miracle that she even got into the party to begin with, the banquet, that she was able to see Jesus. But here's the point here, that her acts of love anointed Jesus. And Jesus recognized that. And in return, because of her faith, we witnessed the greatest miracle of all, which is the miracle of salvation. The miracle of a life turning away from the ways of the world back to God, receiving this peace. This is what we're witnessing here. The miracle of salvation. That's the greatest miracle of all. The miracle where a tired and weary and broken and needy soul finds rest in God that nothing else in this world can ever give. That's the miracle that we witness here. So Simon sees this woman's past, but Jesus sees her future. Jesus sees this woman and her brokenness and all and sees her in heaven with him one day. That this life isn't it. Everything you're going through, all the pain and suffering, this is not it. I see you. One day you will be with me. Simon sees the woman's past, but Jesus sees her future and lives it out in the now. And Jesus sees you too. Today, brokenness, sin, mistakes, flaws, and all, yet he still said, I paid the debt. And I love you so that you can have this relationship and this peace. So stop searching for things of the world and come back to me because I will save you and I can save you. I can give you the peace and the hope you're looking for. I can be enough. I can be more than enough than everything you're looking for. But we need to receive it. George Wilson was guilty of obstructing delivery. This was back in 18. Uh, 1850s, I believe, and it was a crime punishable by the death penalty. He obstructed USPS at the delivery post, and the sentence is capital punishment. So it actually made it all the way up to the president at the time, Andrew Jackson, and, and Andrew Jack, uh, President Jackson gave him a pardon. But this is the fascinating thing, and I think all lawyers and to this day studied this case 
because what happened to George Wilson, he refused the pardon. The president gave him a pardon. You're not to be sentenced to death, to capital punishment, but Wilson refused it. And it's never happened before in history. And all the lawyers in the courts and the Supreme Courts came together. Like, what do we do? Can you refuse a pardon? <laughs> like if a president pardons you, like what, what do you do? And the court ruled, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. The delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. So in the end, the, par the, the refusal to the pardon was accepted and Wilson received the capital punishment. In other words, the pardon is only good if it's received. The salvation that Jesus gives you is only good to you if you receive it. If you take it on, if you would say, yes, God, I want it. I want to believe it. I want to live it. I want to experience this love. So Jesus has offered this pardon to you too today. The question is, have you accepted it? And a follow-up to that is this. Does your life reflect that? Have you, are you living out this assurance that Jesus has given you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again this morning. We thank you, God, that you are so good to us and that you, Lord, would save us and that you sent your son, God, so that we can have the salvation in you. God, today, may we receive your love, love, and we receive your grace. May we say yes to you again. And we thank you, God, in this story here, Lord, that you would reach out to the least of these, that you don't see us for all our brokenness only, but you see us, God, as your son, as your daughter, in need of love, and you're willing to give it to us. So, Lord, may we lay down our burdens before you. May we give it all to you. May in place, may we receive peace and forgiveness and hope in a way that this woman has demonstrated for us. May we live, out, live it out as well. May our acts of love every single day anoint you as king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Please stand. Uh, we're going to come now to a benediction. I'm going to send you off uh, as... Oh, press the wrong button there. I'll do that after. I'll send you off as I read from First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 3. And it's very fitting this morning as we go that there's a response for every single one of us to go and to live this out, this act of love. Let's think about it this week. Every act, every big and small act of love, as you're doing for Jesus, you're anointing him as king. You're saying, God, you're in control, you're supreme. So let's raise our hands out as a sign of receiving. Close your eyes in prayer, and I'll pray this over us. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen. Please take a seat. Yeah, please take a seat. Uh, I was trying to think. Uh, yeah, so we're going to move into time now for our next section here called um, Church Matters. It's kind of strange. Like this week, I'm trying not to make it too formal, but I also want to be formal in my words. <laughs> so... Uh, it's kind of a bit of a mix of a, after I'm done with the preaching, here's a bit of a teaching moment and the sharing and, and whatnot. And how, how this kind of came about, it's called Church Matters because it's, uh, it's kind of a play on words. We had a leadership meeting last Wednesday to talk about these topics. And these church matters matter, right? 
uh, we're talking about vaccinations, we're talking about the live stream, we're talking about leadership and, and, and deacons and ECC, or English Congregation Committee, what does that mean? And we realize as a leadership, and I, I, I think I, I was convicted of this afterwards, I, I was, it was simmering in my mind, in my heart, that as leaders, we need to do a, a better job in um, training uh, and communicating the heart of the church and communicating what's going on. And uh, we're really doing this out of a heart of love, uh, out of a way of communicating, showing like, hey, this is where we're trying to go as a church, and this is what we're uh, trying to live out here. So I'm going to address a few things. So uh, I'm going to address uh, the live stream first and then speak a little bit of vaccinations. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to you know, go uh, medical personnel at all, but I'm just going to share about our church our views of it and what we think of it. And then I'm going to pass the time on to Jermaine, uh, our uh, chair of the board. Uh, she's going to share a little bit about leadership, like why someone might even want to do a crazy thing, like become a deacon uh, or become uh, join leadership and be part of the English Congregation <laughs> Committee. Uh, so yeah. So the live stream, as, so some of you have been asking, and I've had quite a few conversations this week, this messaging various people that I've noticed like, Hey, you usually join us uh, online, so I want to make sure you know what's going on. We don't want to miss you, so we want to make sure you, you, you join in and, and understand what's going on. And some have been asking, you know, why are we taking away the live stream, and why are we heading in that direction? And just, just as a, um, uh, just to pause a little bit, the live stream, this, we're, we're stopping it right now. We do, we're not anti-technology, all right? <laughs> we're not anti, like, hey, you know, this is, uh, we're, we don't believe in, you know, technology or like Zoom and all those kind of things. It had nothing to do with that. It had more to do with what it means to be a church. It has more to do with what it means to, to gather. Uh, so as Roy and, our, and Jocelyn shared before this, like this is our last uh, day of live streaming. For those of you that are joining in right now, uh, last day that we're live streaming. So I want to invite everyone to come back on next week uh, where we'll be fully in person. There's a few more precautions um, that we're going to set up, some more plexiglass, uh, I believe the windows and uh, oh, by the way, there's there's um, uh, there's uh, hand sanitizer outside. If you want to grab one, uh, someone donated it to church. So if you want to grab one. There'll be some uh, next week, and temp checks and mask on uh, for those of us that are sitting in the pews. So we have all that set. So I want to welcome you back to come in, in person. But ultimately, all of this about live streaming and not uh, and taking away has to do with what we believe about the local church. Uh, that's what it really comes down to. The Bible doesn't talk about the church as a building, but it talks about the church as what? As a gathering, uh, as a people. You don't attend church, even though we're at a church right now. We've heard this said before. You are the church. Like, we are the church. Like, like, that's why everywhere you go, you anoint Jesus as king. Like, we're the church as we go out into uh, the world. So, but what's important, though, is that a key mark of the church is gathering. Gathering is what makes the church the church. Alone, I'm a Christian. Yes, I belong to a church. But when we gather, we become a church. Uh, and again, I'm not talking about the number of people. Uh, over the past year, restrictions right, have made it hard uh, to, to gather in person. And we're not, so we're not talking about the size because Jesus says we're two or three gathered. There, there I am with you also. Uh, so we're not talking about the size of the gathering. We're not talking about it has to be a sanctuary here with you know good pews and, and all of that. That's not what we mean by the gathering. Uh, this also doesn't automatically mean that when we come together uh, without intentionality, we don't automatically become the church either without intention. That there's a purpose to our gathering. There's a purpose to why it is that we come together. Um, and I want to I say this, like, I want to just 
make this clear that since God is with us, Jesus is Emmanuel, God is with us, he's with you no matter what. So when we come to church, it's not about feeling extra holy, right? It's not like I only get my preaching powers when I'm standing up here, <laughs> like, you know, and once I walk out the door, it's like, oh, you know, it's taken away from me. I don't know. But, but God's with us uh, everywhere. But when we come together as a church, there is a unique, unique uniqueness to it because we're following this biblical call for us to gather so Jesus, as we talk about the church, has always talked about the church as a kingdom and not a building. That as we come together, we become a kingdom. That we become a people. Jesus keeps telling his disciples whenever to gather, for what reason? To break bread and to remember. That, that's actually the simplicity of what church is. is to break bread, and that's, you know, I'm sad that during COVID we can't have snacks. <laughs> but to have fellowship with each other, to commute. Uh, to, to have that conversation after service, to go out for lunch, to say hi. Uh, that's a huge part of church. But also to remember every single Sunday when we gather, why we have worship music is to recall our affections, our love for God. Why do we preach the word? To remember what God is teaching us, what he's communicating us. Like, oh yeah, like, yeah, like, you know, like my, my life matters to God, right? Like every, the way I live, oh yeah, I, I remember that now. God's reminding us of that. So every time we come together, we preach the word, and we teach the word, and we gather in fellowship, and we sing, and we go into fellowship so that we can break bread and remember. That's why we do what we do. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about live streaming, all right? Some of you pointed that out. Like, yes, <laughs> as way before internet. It's way before a, a lot of a technology that we have today. So we can't talk about, you know, whether virtual reality and, you know, all that kind of stuff gone to some good conversations this week about that, like whether that counts as gathering and, and whatnot. But what we do know in, in scripture is that when they say gathering, it's a physical gathering that is speaking of. It's not talking about like you know, something like out there, some, something imaginative or something uh, not tangible. They're talking about when they say gather, it means gather. It means come together, come together in each other's presence. Uh, that's usually what we understand of, 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 of the word. So our leadership, as we go towards this, it's not against the technology. It's not against, um, I'll talk about COVID a little bit. It's not, it's not about, uh, it's about our convictions about the church and what it means to gather and what it means to come together. It has to do with our biblical convictions as a leadership of how the Bible speaks about the church. How the Bible speaks about the church. And I originally had this really clunky definition uh, that if you take in our membership course, this actually isn't new. Uh, we go over this every membership course. Uh, like, what is a church? What, what is the church? Uh, what does it mean to be part of the church? Uh, what does it mean to be a member? But as a church, I'm going to highlight five things. What makes a church a church? Number one, it's a group of Christians a gathering together, but people are invited into that as we witness. It's a group of Christians. It's a regular gathering. It's a congregation-wide exercise of affirmation and oversight. So when we gather, we affirm each other. Hey, we're affirming you in your call to, uh, as you live out your faith. That's why the way that you are, uh, the way that we are on Sundays, uh, how you respond to the gospel, uh, your presence makes a difference. That's why the, when you sing, it makes a difference in encouragement to the people around, your, your demeanor of how you are. Like, it matters. It's an affirmation. It's an oversight. Number four, so group of Christians, a regular gathering is, a, is an affirmation. Number four, it's a purpose of officially representing Christ as we come together, and his rule on earth, that we gather not in my name and Lord's Love Church's name, we gather in Christ's name. That's what makes a church a church. We gather under Jesus' name. And we gather because we use preaching 
and teaching and singing and also the ordinances, which is a word we don't use often. Ordinances, meaning the word sim- symbols, symbols to rem- remind us of who this Jesus is. You think of communion, that's why we come together and break of the bread together. You think of baptism, that's another symbol, another ordinance that we come together as a church. Uh, so gathering is important in order to, uh, uh, to, go, uh, to understand all of that, in order, in order to participate in all of that. And I love this. Most important of all when we gather is actually we go public with our faith. So when I talk about, hey, you go out and that's your missions field and you got to be public with your faith, that's technically step two. The easiest part of declaring your faith is actually coming to church. Scripturally speaking, the easiest way of Christians to declare our faith is to gather. That is the, the simplest way in Scripture. It doesn't talk about the, the rest, the hard stuff comes later, like the persecution, uh, like the death, like the beatings and the mocking and going out and witnessing. That's the hard stuff of the faith. The gathering, it's the easy stuff. It would never be a, a challenge. So you kind of see around the world, like no matter the persecution, the pressures that Christians face around the world, we've got to gather. This is the simplicity of our faith, of what Jesus commands us to do. And when we gather, we affirm and encourage. Which is why anyone had that spiritual high after three days of camp? <laughs> or that missions trip, right? Or you spend a night of fellowship or a life group together? There's a reason. It's, it's because we affirm each other and we encourage each other uh, th- through it all. So I just want to say that gathering is important. It's the way that we experience, uh, we experience God's love. We experience each other's fellowship and presence. And we experience his goodness. That's why, if you're like, well, where's the live stream coming in from that? It's like, well, the live stream has been a, a, a tool for us during a time when we couldn't gather physically. But now as we go into, as a talk about vaccinations, now as we go into a time where we believe it's, you know, vaccination rates are up, it is safe. We're doing all the precautions, safer, it is precaution. We're taking all the precautions uh, that we can as a church. That we're, that church, like, for us to take that step of faith, right, to come out and be like, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. That gathering is important because God called me to this. And I'm going to come and encourage and affirm one another and to be reminded of what this faith is. Because when I'm out there, I'm reminded of a lot of different things from the ads that I see and the news I'm bombarded with. But when I'm in here, I'm, remember, I'm reminded, hey, everything's going to be okay. That God is good, that God is great, and that he's going to be gracious. So we find that with uh, the live stream, that, that is why, because there's always been a tool. It's never meant to be um, a way of replacing the gathering. Uh, so that's why uh, we're moving towards that. So I want to say this, though. For those of you that are really challenged to gather and can't come together, I want to talk to you. Uh, I want to make a way the best way possible. Uh, our, our, our goal is for spiritual health and spiritual growth, and it's to care for you. Uh, so if you can't make it in, uh, I'd love to have a conversation and, and see what else we can do about that. Okay. I went way longer than I wanted to give. Okay, I took a course on ecclesiology on what the church is, and that was 12 weeks long. Uh, I tried to summarize that in, um, was it six minutes or seven, whatever that was, maybe longer. Uh, Okay, vaccination. So I won't spend as much time on this, uh, though it's an important topic. Uh, Officially, from the stance of the church, our stance is we're encouraging you to get vaccinated. Why? It's really for the sake of love and protection for you to care, not only for yourself, but for the people uh, around you. And I was hesitant. Uh, our ECC leadership knows about this. I, maybe they felt me a little, a little bit aggressive <laughs> on Wednesday uh, with this. I was like, do we really need to talk about this? Because then, like, you know, people have their choices, and I still believe people have their choices, and you can decide whatever it is that you want to do. 
But it really came back down to this as well, that as a leadership, we believe and we take this seriously that we are to love the church and to love you uh, the best that way that we know how and to communicate this really is a step of us loving each other. And I'm not going to go down the route of science and um, the medical side of things. I just know we have an immune system. Uh, that's basically all I know <laughs> about our human bodies. I'm, also, I'm thankful that God has given us an immune system where we can fight viruses such as this, but I'm also thankful for the scientists and the doctors from around the world that have discovered these vaccinations and have done the research, that have poured in the money. I asked Jess, how come they were able to accelerate this so quickly? And they're like, most of the time it ends up becoming a, a financial thing. The more money they have, the faster they're able to press through in the testing. The more, they, more people they're able to, to test, the more, uh, the more information they're able to have. Usually, why do we have Terry Fox runs? It's funding. Uh, funding for research. Unfortunately, finance drives a lot of the research uh, from around uh, the world. So I'm thankful that we can develop immune systems. I'm thankful we have uh, doctors that figure those things out and get shots and, and whatnot. Uh, no medical procedure is 100% risk-free, right? I know that as well, that every medical procedure, there's some sort of risk and, and there's some, some sort to it. But what's also weighed towards us, uh, weighed for us, is the risk of not doing it. Uh, what about that side of thing? And I want to say this, though the Bible doesn't talk about vaccinations again, just like it doesn't talk about live streaming, <laughs> it doesn't talk about cameras and all that internet kind of stuff, what the Bible does talk a whole lot about is about love and loving one another and taking care of each other. The Bible talks about the church being the salt and the light of the world. The Bible talks a lot about how as a church and as Christians, we have the ability to influence the world like school systems and hospitals and a lot of the innovations around the world were created by Christians because they loved the world. They wanted God to, to they wanted them to experience God. They, wanted, they know, knew their purpose in the world, that they were to influence the world. So they were part of these innovations. So the Bible doesn't talk about, uh, it doesn't talk a lot about vaccinations, but it talks about love. And I just want to share this, Philippians 2, 5 to 7, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So this is our call as a church. With vaccinations, this is, this is our opportunity that our prayers for us, that, that just like our Jesus, who laid down his rights, he laid down his rights and his freedoms and everything that he could have done for the sake of other people's lives. So what this actually comes back down to is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, no matter what it is that we believe. This is about having the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is about loving and protecting one another. It's about serving others as Christ would serve them. That's what this topic is about. So we're encouraging, I'm going to pass the time. Jermaine's like, I have no time to share. <laughs> it's like, we're going to pass the time uh, over. But we're encouraging everyone that's part of our church to, you know, get their vaccinations. Right? We're really encouraging you that at the end of the day, it's about loving you and everyone else around you. We, we really are worried about you as the church. That's what we're talking about here. We're worried about you and concerned about you, especially for those that are unvaccinated. I'm going to share this. And I didn't tell it. Jess works as an ICU nurse. A majority of the people in the ICU are unvaccinated. Over 90, 90%. And as a leadership, we're saying this. As a pastor, I'm saying this from my heart. I would not want to see one of you as 
our church members in that position. So this is a call to love and a call of hoping that you would do whatever it is that you can to love yourself and to protect yourself and also for you not to get sick. I'm also speaking as someone that's had it. I don't want anyone to go through that. That breathing, the struggles was real. And I'm like a healthy 34-year-old with no other, pre, no other preconditions. So this is the call from our church, from our leadership, for you uh, to care about you. Okay, I'll pass it on uh, to Jermaine. She's going to take the rest of our time here. Uh, she's going to talk about deaconship, leadership. Uh, oh, one, Mike 7, Red Mike, um, and uh, what leadership is, yeah. Um, thank you, Pastor Doug, for sharing thus far. Um, just wanted to share a little bit about uh, leadership and what all that means. Um, as you all have heard from the announcements for the past couple of weeks is that we will be having elections coming up. There's going to be positions in our leadership that um, we, we usually serve in terms, right? We don't want people, you're not serving for life, right? It says in terms. This is um, seasons that you dedicate yourself, you commit yourself to what God wants to do um, in the church. And as Doug has mentioned, we are the church. Like as we're serving one another, that's why we uh, commit ourselves to be able to say, hey, like it's not gonna be easy. There's gonna be maybe sometimes more work. Uh, I'm not even gonna say sometimes. A lot of times more work, much more thought put into the heart of the people. Um, and for me, just to be able to share with you, I don't, I can't say I feel qualified even to serve. Uh, so many times, especially this, this past year, being chair has really taught me more about what God is doing and not really what I'm doing or even our team is doing. With that being said, I am so thankful for the team. Like, there's no way that one person could be doing anything alone. Um, but what I do want to encourage you all is, if there is a tugging, of God calling you to love your brothers and sisters in ways where you're going to have to step out of that comfort zone to do so. Like, talk to me, talk to Pastor Doug, um, talk to Pastor Howard, even like just talk to our ECC team. Uh, we need people. We need your, we need your experience, your, your mind, your heart, because my passions aren't fully aligned exactly the same as what Duncan or Queenie or Nate or Aaron or Pastor Doug or Howard are. Like they're all kind of different because we, God has been teaching us different things in our own lives as well. And so I find that whenever you come into that picture, you bring a new perspective, something that we come together and say, hey, like God, what are you saying to us together? How can we lead your people together? And it's such a joy. Like I, that's all I can say. It's such a joy to be able to see the things of God being unfolded because you take part in it, right? That's that acceptance part. So that's all I can say about it. Um, yes, next week is the final date for nominations. And what that means is if you see someone beside you that think you think that person could lead well, like maybe not exactly right now, but definitely soon, come and talk to me, talk to Queenie about this. Like this is something that we would love to be able to talk to those people about. Um, there's also, I think Celia is the one who's gonna be collecting, um, Celia's back there. She's gonna be collecting the forms and we need people to say, yeah, uh, 
okay, I'm willing. If they're saying I'm willing, then this is something that we can work towards, uh, even seeing how we can train you up, how we can lead you into this process. Um, the actual election date, I think it was wrong on the slide, but it is November 21st. So that's a Sunday, November 21st, not the 31st. I don't think we have a 31st of November. Um, so yeah, anything to do with leadership and elections, I can say I'm still learning, um, but I would love to talk to you if you have that heart um, to do so, to grow in. Um, growth happens in the uncomfortable. And if I can, uh, I would say that I used to think that I wanna settle in the comfortable and I often still have to fight that urge. So if that's something that you're urging to fight against as well, come see me. Uh, I'm just gonna end us off in a word of prayer and then you guys can be dismissed. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are here with us because truly your spirit uh, lives in us, Lord. We thank you that we are your people, that you've called us your own, and that not only have you called us and saved us, God, you've allowed us to take part in the work that you are doing. Father, thank you that this whole um, quote-unquote one another is all about what your church is uh, being a, your church is all about is for one another to love one another to serve one another to lay ourselves um, before you and to say the other person matters and um, i just pray lord that you would convict those that you convict lord just give us a heart of uh, desire to love someone someone else lord um, in the way that you have loved us first so i thank you for this day uh, god we don't take each we don't take this day nor the breath that we have in our lungs for granted. Lord, you've given us life and there's a purpose for that. And so I pray, Lord, that as we live out this purpose, uh, each of us individually, God, when we come together collectively as well, that there is a purpose for why we gather. That's to make your name great, is to further your kingdom in ways that we cannot do alone. So Lord, continue to use us, um, be here, speak to us. We just want to honor you, Lord, because you are, you are all, you are our all, you are everything. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.